Father, as we come to your word once again, we confess that without you we are ignorant, that we cannot perceive what's in it. And so we ask that we might sense your presence here and that by your spirit you might show us wondrous things from out of your law. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, week two of sharing the gospel. Last week, uh, we talked about nothing but the bad news, and I think you saw why. Uh, That's probably the biggest hurdle for a person to get over in coming to Christ, isn't it? In fact, there are really three kind of sticking points, if you will, when you share with someone about the Lord and knowing him. The first one is uh, conviction of sin. It's, It's difficult for a person to start from scratch and believe they are not fit for heaven, that they're not better than most people. Having gotten over that hurdle, then it's difficult for people to come and agree with God that they deserve hell or that there is such a place. And the third sticking point really is going to be when it comes to repentance. Someone may agree with God about their sin and be aware of just how much they richly deserve hell. But then comes the choice, Jesus or my sin, that's repentance. And that's often a sticking point. So those are the things to be aware of when you're talking to a person. As we said last week, remember, this is the work of God. This is God's work. I don't save a person. You don't save a person. It's God. God alone does the work in the heart. Praise God for that, huh? Nobody would be saved if it was up to us. And so, therefore, it's necessary as we're sharing with a person to constantly, as Gene used to say, put in that dipstick. Find out where God is working. If, they're still, if he has not been able to convince them that they're really sinners yet, well, you need to stay right there. That's where God is working. Co-labor with him and so on down the road. And you do that by asking questions. Um, so if you have the wonderful experience of sharing with someone and you've just finished, as we did last week, Revelation 20 and the great white throne, and you say, where are you in this picture? And they've come to the end of themselves and they're willing to agree with God and they say, I'm one of those being thrown in the lake of fire. I have no hope. That's exciting. Praise God. I tell you, you're you're a long way there. God has really gotten them over a couple of big humps there. And uh, uh, you're close to seeing someone being saved there. Okay. So if if they've made it past all of that, then we're ready. Really, now we're going to talk about the gospel. Because the gospel means good news. And so far, it's all been bad. Now, the way I do it, um, I w- remember what we're going to be talking about here. Keep, keep in mind where you're going. The biblical concept of how God saves people, you can say it with a single word, is substitution. The way we've painted it so far, everybody deserves hell, and it looks like the only choice is that's where we all go. Praise God. He had, before the foundation of the earth, uh, a plan of substitution, in particular his own son to take our place and that's what we're going to now uh tell them and so i'll 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 ask people after all all this bleak news i'll say so do you see any way out of it and invariably they'll say no i said well there is and this is the first time that we'll talk about the love of god it has no place until now we've been talking about the judgment of god until now now you say but god does love you and he doesn't want to see you have to pay the penalty for your sin but he's a righteous god and he can't just dismiss the sin so is there a way to answer both of those his love and his righteousness his judgment and the answer is yes and that is what if someone willing to take your place 
Now, you're all sitting here saying, come on, this is obvious. You know, everybody knows this. Let me tell you, they don't. I would say more than half the time when I have shared with someone, and I've gotten to this point, I introduce the idea of substitution, and I say, now, can you imagine someone who'd be willing to take your place? They go, no, having a clue, which excites me. As I said earlier, when you ask the preliminary questions, when you find out they really don't understand, man, praise God, you have some good news they don't know. Did you can tell them? Uh, often, I'll think through with them, who, who could possibly do this? And uh, you've probably heard it before, but it's a good way to think about it. Um, first of all, to take your place, it's got to be a person. Secondly, uh, it, they can't be a sinner because if they did, they'd have to pay for their own sin. Finally, God loves more than just you. He loves the whole world. So somehow this individual who's going to be the substitute is going to have to be a person who's without sin and whose life is of infinite value. Can you think of anybody like that? And I am not making this up. More than half the people at that point will say, no. Is that incredible? Do it. I know you don't believe me. Try it. Do it. And so then at that point, after letting them think a little bit, I'll say, well, there is one. Praise God. It's Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, who became a man and took your place on the cross and paid for that awful penalty we've been talking about. Now, uh, you notice this is a little different from last week. Last week, we were turning from passage to passage, remember? And I said, have them read the read the Bible. Now, when I go through the cross, I don't want to have them flipping through the Bible. You should memorize the verses. That's what I've done. And just tell them the scripture at this point. I want them to really understand the cross and focus on the cross. Um, and the, the four best verses, the reason I had you turn here in First Peter is because two of them are found here. And the other two are in Isaiah. You already know the verses. You may not know them word for word, but uh, Don's preparing a handout for the rest of the class. I think it's expanded to something like uh, 25 or 26 weeks now. So uh, each week, we're going to have a, a verse to memorize. And on that list will be the two verses in Peter, 2.24 and 3.18. Now, you may not have memorized. I think some of you do, but uh, they're very well known. 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There it is. That's how God did it. Our sins in his body. You know Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's how God did it. He put my sin, your sin, on his son on the cross. And then when he'd done that, he then judged him. And that's the next verse in uh peter chapter 3 verse 18 for christ also has suffered for sins once for all being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the spirit so 224 he bore our sins in his body 318 he bore the punishment isaiah 53 again says he was uh, bruised for our iniquities he was he was uh, punished for our transgressions substitution now uh, I can tell you from experience, if you have someone who's really seeking God, boy, this is the most wonderful news they've ever heard. 
the vast majority of people coming to this point were convinced that there was some, some good thing that they had to do, many good things they had to do. And to hear this is the most wonderful news they've ever heard. Also, uh, when you share this, share it from the heart. Remember what you're talking about. Uh, as I get older, I don't know if I'm getting more sentimental or what, but uh, it's getting harder for me to share without weeping. When I go through the cross with someone for the first time, uh, the last couple of years, I just uh, I can't hold back the tears. It's, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me, the love of God and what he's done for us. So don't treat, you know, don't say it blithely or academically. Really remember what you're talking about here. God gave his son to die for us, to bear our sins, the sinless one. Praise his name. That's the good news. <laughs> and then he was raised from the dead to show that God was satisfied with what he had done. Okay, that's really not hard to share. No, all last week we spent on the bad news, remember? We're done with the good news. It's simple. Uh, you don't have to convince someone. I, I have never had trouble having to argue with somebody, you know, that what Jesus did on the cross. That's the easy part. And if they've made it to the bad news and they realize they're hopeless, man, they're so happy to hear the good news. And so uh, if you have the joy of, of getting that far with someone, they genuinely are convinced of their own sin. They understand now that Jesus died on the cross, paid for that penalty in full. What next? Well, let me say, first of all, uh, don't lead them in prayer. That, uh, I don't know who made that up, but you got these little, little tracks, you know, repeat after me. I, you know, John Doe, am a sinner. I understand Jesus died for my sins. Jesus, come into my heart and save me from my sins. Amen. And I have met so many people who have been inoculated against the gospel because they have prayed just such a prayer, but they were not prepared by the Holy Spirit and they really didn't understand the depths of what was going on there. First of all, I, I just say, uh, if, if you're at this place with a person, I'll tell you, it's a real joy. Just use the Bible word. I say, you know what God says you need to do? Believe on Jesus. That's what God says in the Bible. More than any other choice, when, when uh, he's, someone is talking to someone, sharing with them, the word is believe. Now, I've seen people take that word and trisect it. And they do this when they share with people. And they make it sound like there are three things they need to do. That's, that's not biblical. They say, well, first of all, you need to trust Christ. You need to rely on his finished work. That's one part of believing. Then uh, you need to repent of your sin. And then you need to make Jesus your Lord. Now, I know you're sitting out there saying, man, Rick, you're preaching heresy here. That's good. That's right. No, you don't you don't you don't make it a three step process. Let me tell you, I said this last week. How is someone saved? They're saved by believing the gospel, aren't they? Do you believe that? If you don't, you're arguing with the scripture. Romans 1, 16, Ephesians 1, 13, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and, 1 and 2. You are saved by believing the gospel. When the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul say? Well, you need to uh, trust, you need to repent, you need to make Jesus your Lord. Is that what he said? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
When the Ethiopian eunuch said, here's some water, I want to be baptized. Uh, what hinders me from doing it? What did Philip say? You need to uh, trust Christ. You need to repent. You need to make Jesus your Lord. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. You see, God understands what's in that word belief. And people don't have to be taught how to respond to the gospel. It's like breathing. Do you know that? It's the work of God, see? You're losing track of that if you think it is. It's not your work. It's God's work. And when he works in their heart to bring them to Christ, if they heard the gospel, in fact, while they hear the gospel, that's usually what a person gets saved, I found. Or if they go away, I told you often, I'm done. They've heard the gospel. They understand it, but they're not ready yet to commit their life to Christ. And they go away. And uh, I can name so many circumstances where it, something came up in the person's life and it all clicked. And they believed the gospel and they were saved by God at that point. And God knows when it happened. Don't worry, it's not important you were there. <laughs> he knows it. He sees the heart and he saves them. And they're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's interesting, in the book of Acts, Peter goes out and preaches to Cornelius. You remember what happened? You know, a Gentile. Oh, no, I'm not even supposed to be in your house, you know. But God told me to come, so here I am. And he begins to preach. And it says, Peter is at the point of a sermon. He says that through faith in his name, all should receive forgiveness of sins. Listen to what it says next. It says, as Peter was speaking those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were saved as he was speaking those words he hadn't even gotten to uh repentance lordship or anything else all he'd done was talk about the cross i find that it's the natural response of the human heart because god made it that way that when you share the gospel with someone who's truly seeking god they're not playing games with god they realize what their sin has done to them and they surrender to christ at that moment and they're genuinely saved. And you know what? They've trusted Christ. They've repented of their sins. And they've made him Lord all at the same time. Isn't that amazing? It shouldn't be. That's the way the Bible is. Now, I'm not disclaiming the others. Uh, in effect, there is a time and a place to address them. But it's not here when you're at that critical juncture where you've shared the gospel. And they say, now what must I do? You're going you're gonna to mislead them. So... I just say that. I said, believe, I'll, I'll say it this way. I'll say, now that you understand what Jesus did on the cross, uh, you simply trust in what he did. And I'll say, you turn from your sin and give your life to him. Now, really, they're kind of in there. But it's really all one gesture, believing the gospel. Believe on Jesus Christ. And I'll say, uh, quote, typically like John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Believe, believe, believe. I, I've only had one case. I had one young woman, this is about 20 years ago. Um, she actually said, well, how do you believe? Well, as soon as she said that, I realized what she was really saying was, there's something still holding me back. Because if you have to ask that question, you're not prepared by God yet. And okay, so then, uh, uh, I'll, and I'll share with them. I, I always do this. And it works. Okay, there are people in fellowship here who have been saved. Okay, trust me. This is not spiritual malpractice. Um, I'll, I'll say, 
You know, the Bible says, we, and I remember I shared with him Romans 1.16 anyway. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. I'll say, what do you need to do? You need to believe the gospel. We just got through saying that. Now, you may already be saved if you've believed it. God knows I don't. But it would be good if you really have trusted Christ. Let's pray right now. And that's it. I won't tell them anything. I'll let them pray. Let me tell you, if you get to that point, you're going to hear the most sincere, the purest prayers you've ever heard in your life. If God has genuinely saved that person. You don't have to tell them what to say. You don't have to coach them. Uh, I've heard the, the purest sentiments toward the Lord Jesus expressed by a uh, saved sinner's first prayer. They are, they are, first of all, they are freshly aware of their sin. Like maybe you aren't even. They realize it. They are freshly, in fact, newly aware of the cross and what Jesus has done. And they are so thankful and so happy. And they tell them so. But most of all, you hear their new love for the Savior that they've just met. You can't beat it. I wish I could record them. But it's, it's wonderful. It's good for them because it gets them started right away in the habit of prayer. Uh, and it's good for you because as you listen, you can see if there's still any lingering problems. And once in a while there is, you know, well, then, you know, well, we need to go back and revisit sin again or, or, or even repentance if you if you know an issue. So that's it. It takes it out of your hands. It takes it out of my hands. You see, it's in God's hands. And they're not, remember, they are not saved because they pray a prayer. They are saved by believing the gospel. And in the cases where someone has gone away and, and they've either gone on a Bible study or they were uh, doing a lesson or something and they'll call me or they'll come back and uh, they're all excited about the Lord and I'll, and I'll tell them, look, you were, you, you were saved when you believed. And I don't know when that was. God does. But that's when you were saved. And then uh, we'll pray together and I'll, I'll go over the basics of the Christian life and everything. But it's God who does the work. And that's so exciting. It's never the same twice. Uh, you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on this. I said, I don't always mention repentance. There was, um, there have been some times when it was clear repentance needed to be brought up because there was a clear issue that I knew about in the person's life and I knew they knew it. Uh, and it was a good test. For example, there was a, a young woman in the Hayward Police Department. Tom knows who I'm talking about. Later a detective, in fact. And um, <clears throat> she was living with a fellow. In fact, they had a son of that relationship. I think it was about 10, 10, 12 years old. They'd been living together a long time. And uh, after the message, she came up to me. And it was in a, uh, Howard's living room back when we were meeting in the home. And uh, she was ready to be I think she was already saved. I think she, during the message, she heard the gospel and believed it. You can tell, you know. Uh, and so, but I knew her relationship. So in that case, it's pretty obvious. I just said, uh, well, Yuna, is, do you think there's anything in your life the Lord Jesus might put his finger on right now? <laughs> I didn't have to tell her. She knew right away. I think she was going to say it anyway. And uh, she smiled with tears in her eyes. And she says, yeah, I know exactly what it is. And uh, at, right after that, she went up to the fellow, Pat, and said, you've got to go home alone today. You're going to have to find some place else to spend the night. And in fact, for the next whatever, he got saved two weeks later. So there are times 
if there's a clear issue. Okay. Now, in fact, I'll tell you, uh, God has, has uh, how can I put it, broken the rules a couple of times with me. Uh, there was a Catholic young, young woman, one of the first women we met when we started the new work in San Lorenzo. Rhonda was her name. Strong Catholic, real committed Catholic. And uh, I'd gone over the gospel with her already. She'd been to classes. She'd been to sermons. She understood it, you know, up here. But deep down inside, it was works. I don't care how you say it. She ended up hearing, I got to do it. I got to do something to be saved. It's me. Carding was going to go over to her house that afternoon and share the gospel with her once again. And I, I just, the Lord laid it on my heart. I took Carney in the side and said, now look, when you go over there today, I don't want you to talk about repentance or lordship or anything. I just want you to share the gospel. And that's it. And uh, she did that. We prayed. She went over. Just when she got finished with the cross, all of a sudden, Rhonda leaped up from the couch and she started weeping. And she walked over to the window. Because she... She realized what Jesus had done on the cross for the first time in her life. It just hit her between the eyes. She got saved right there. That, she was saved at that moment. She rested. She came to rest fully on the cross of Jesus and nothing else right at that moment. It was the best news she ever heard. Trust God in this, you know. He's at work. He wants to save the person. And you don't have to teach someone how to believe. In fact, if you do that, you're going you're to complicate it. Okay, um, if, if they're saved uh, later, as I said, I've had times where people have gone away. Um, they, they're going to want to get back with you, you know. By the way, if that does happen, if you lead someone to Christ, you know, you've got a new kid on your hands. <laughs> you've got a new responsibility. You do. If God used you to give birth, spiritual birth to a person, then you're the parent and he expects you. To raise that child. Now, if you're a guy and it's a girl, well, then, you know, find a, a trustworthy sister, your wife, preferably, uh, to handle that and vice versa, you know. But uh, they're, they're in your care now. And uh, that's the first thing I'll do. I remember one young fellow, he didn't get saved. He, it took several weeks. And then we got together later and he'd gotten saved. Uh, actually, in a Bible study uh, where he had been going. And so I was, I was rejoicing. He was rejoicing. I said, well, let's just pray. You know, it was the first time he prayed. He hadn't prayed yet. And I wanted to listen to what he prayed. And it was interesting. He kept saying, God, God, God. He addressed God as God. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But it was a very formal, you know, oh, God. And so I already had a little follow-up to do. I turned into Romans 8 and I said, hey, you know what? He's your father. When you pray, call him Father. You have a wonderful relationship now that Jesus has given you. Oh, man, he was so excited, you know. Uh, another, another young man, uh, I asked him to pray. He didn't want to pray. <laughs> it wasn't he didn't love the Lord. He just felt embarrassed about praying, you know, even as a Christian. He'd never prayed. And it wasn't the sort of thing he wanted to do. But so I encouraged him, you know. I heard one of the most heartfelt, uh, honest loving prayers i've ever heard as he prayed you know so if god uses you in that way and uh you 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 see someone in, in there say 
then a whole new world begins now because now you have a baby on your hands and you need to uh, raise them up to maturity. Okay, now, uh, having said that, if you have that joy, that's wonderful. Uh, like I said, no, no, it never, it's never the same twice. So I thought I'd give you a few extra verses here now in areas that you may need to go back over with them. Uh, repentance will come up on its own, by the way, if you get to the point and they understand the cross and uh, you, know, you challenge them if they're ready to give their life to Christ. They'll, they'll balk. And uh, it's, it's an issue of repentance. Then some good verses to know. Uh, it's really good to memorize these. There's really not that many to memorize. But uh, they really hit the nail on the head. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let him return unto the Lord. Uh, Acts 3, 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out And when times come from refreshing of the Lord. Repent, therefore. Uh, Luke 13, twice Jesus said it. It's interesting there. Uh, people then were just like people today. They had heard stories about some people that had died in some other cities, you know. And, uh, well, their opinion was, well, the reason they got killed was because there were such rotten sinners, you know. It was the judgment of God on them. And Jesus said, look, they're, they're no worse than you guys are. He said, in fact, unless you repent, you're going to die in your sins. He said it twice. The passage uh, that I didn't go through last week, when I go through Romans, I usually hit three sections. The section in chapter one, you saw the list of sins. I usually also do chapter two, which I didn't do last week, the beginning of the chapter. And there it asks the question, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? I like that because most people do. The answer, most people would, yeah. You know, deep down inside, other people may be going to hell, but it ain't me. So I like that section because it asks that question up front. And then he goes on to explain that, uh, look, just because you're getting away with sin now doesn't mean you're not going to pay for it later. And he says, you're mistaking the kindness and the goodness and the patience of God right now. It's going to run out. And he says, because he says, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? Repentance. That's right. But because of your hardness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and righteous judgment of God. Know those, know those sections. It's the word of God that's going to do the work. Okay? So you want to know the word on these subjects and be able to show them from the scripture. And in all these cases, as I said before now, have them turn there. Have them read the verse. If you read it to them, it's going to go like that. Have them read it. Ask them about it. What does it say? What does it mean? What's that word mean? Make sure they understand it. Um, okay, now, often someone will uh, seem like they've been saved, but as time goes on, you can tell from their life that there's a good chance they're not. You know, Jesus said that. By their fruits you shall know them, right? You know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? That's one of the uses of the book of First John. This is for later now, you know, if you have someone and, it, and it, I, I, I just uh, wish there was a way you could prevent a false profession, but you can't. Look, I told you I made one in Alameda and I wasn't trying to deceive people. I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, I went forward, 
But when I got uh, to the pastor, to the house, the pastor came up and said, we need to baptize you. I told him, look, I don't know what you thought happened here, but whatever you thought, it didn't happen. And I'm glad I did. I wasn't saved, you know. People don't generally, you know, make a false profession because they're trying to fool somebody. They just there's there's a sincere desire to know God. But deep down inside, there's there's something they're holding on to. There's some there's a problem. God knows what it is. Uh, They may not even know. So if it does come to the point to where, you know, you, you need to share with someone about their life. First uh, John, of course, is the book. That's that's the shepherd's toolkit for sharing with someone. It's, it's the book that shows the evidence in the life of a believer. But uh, what's interesting to me is, you know, we talk about uh, believing the gospel. That's a predominant word that God uses, believe. But there are two places in the New Testament where he uses the word obey. Isn't that interesting? Obey the gospel. He says it in Second Thess 1.8 and 1 Peter 4.7 good verses to know uh another good section i just went uh through this with someone recently people are always amazed when i show them this here's a good assignment for you this afternoon or sometime this week it's real simple hebrews the end of chapter three and chapter four go through that section and see how many times god uses interchangeably the words obey and believe in one place he'll say the word obey in exact same setting later he used the word believe how now you're thinking how can god do that well they're the same thing did you know that do you know do you want to know what i really believe watch my life don't listen to what i say forget what i say talk is cheap okay if you want to know what i really believe inside and the stuff that god sees and that he rests upon watch my life watch what i do because i rest my actions on stuff i really believe in that's why they're the same you see that's why god can have the audacity to interchange those two words believe and obey okay and that's true of everybody in this room you want to know what anybody really believes just look at their life what's important to them what kind of things do they do and not do you know how important is jesus and the word and the people of god to them really that's it so uh hebrews for your own benefit hebrews last uh, part of chapter three and verse and uh, chapter four um i told you before i really when it comes to uh saying you're not saved by good works i don't like using ephesians 2 8 and 9 because it's it's loaded with grace and other things that confuse people Revel, uh romans three twenty is a much better verse by works of the law there shall be no flesh justified in his sight real clear you don't introduce the grace of God or mercy of God early in the gospel that way. But after Ephesians 2, 8, 9, there's a wonderful verse. Let's start off. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Everybody knows that one. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, that anyone should boast. We are saved, what? On two good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by good works, but if we're genuinely saved, the good works will follow. That's what the verse says. Okay. Um, I mentioned, uh, and I always do, uh, uh, at the end of the good news, I say, and then God raised him from the dead uh, to show that he was satisfied with the work of his son. You talk about the resurrection, but you typically don't have to argue about it. If you've gotten to that point, it's very rarely a sticking point. If, for, if you do, I think I've had it once or twice. Someone balks at the resurrection, well... 
then you know where to turn the end of, at the end of the gospels first corinthians 15 uh the end of romans 5 the beginning of first john any of those okay so beyond that i can't stress it enough um it's the work of god first corinthians 3 we are co-laborers with him i have so many people that have come up to me and they for some reason they, they uh, see it as a project to save someone and they've witnessed to them they've shared scripture with them and they come up and they say i've talked to this person you know and i just can't seem to get through with them through to them what verse can i use to get through to them <laughs> what's the problem what, what's wrong with this picture well the pro- look god cannot get through to them if god can't do it why do you think you can Pray for them. Continue to witness, but relax, okay? It's God that does the saving, not you. Man, that takes such a burden. I don't know about you. That takes such a weight off my shoulders to know it's the work of God. I'm just a vessel sharing his word, doing it in an intelligent way. First Peter 3 says, always be ready to give a what? Reason for the hope that lies within you to, him, to them who ask. It's a reasonable faith. You know, you know, the most reasonable faith in the world is is Christianity. Every other religion says uh, there's a God that you can uh, make happy by being a good person in this life or doing something in this life. You know, the God's about this big. He's just like you, maybe a little bigger. Uh-uh. You, you find about a, a, the living God in the Bible, bigger, like Howard said this morning, he's bigger than creation, holding together everything by the word of his power. You can't please him. You can't make it to heaven on being a good person. There's nothing you can do. You're powerless. He alone can save. And Jesus is the only way. Okay, the brethren uh, also asked now, and uh, I, I, I was going to do it anyway. I always do this whenever I disciple a guy. One of the first things I'll do, we're throwing out the invitation to you guys. Um, I'd love to have the opportunity. If you, if you know a relative or a friend who right now or later is willing to give a hearing to the gospel, I volunteer, okay? I'll go with you. Or any of the other teachers of the class have said they'd be willing to do that. It would be a great experience for you to sit in. You can have sessions like this, you know, up front where I'm talking. You have not seen the interplay with a person. And uh, I've found the most, the, the, the most beneficial way to begin to learn to do this is to do it with someone. So you have an open invitation, brothers and sisters. You know someone, or if it comes up later, that, and look, make it real low-key. Uh, not a high-pressure thing. Listen, um, you know, would you like to know what the central message of the Bible is? I, I have a friend who would be willing to come and share it with you. I'll be there, you know. And it'd be no pressure. We're not to get out to get you to come to our church. We're not there to pressure you into praying prayers or making commitments, anything like that. Just, we'd like you to give a hearing to the central message of the Bible. And, the, and if that's the last we ever see of you, that's the way you want it, that's up to you. Okay? Low, as low pressure as possible. Look, what does it say? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I've seen that. I've seen hostile hearts. And you show the gospel with them, all of a sudden now, it's planted in there. And it begins to work. It begins to grow like a seed. And it'll often lead to salvation. Okay, you got that? 
So everybody, that's an open invitation. I'd love to do it myself. But when I said that, the brother said, well, I don't want you just to do it. Give us a chance too. So that's it. Okay? Don't hesitate. Uh, and, and you'll be there, but you won't have to say a word. Just, you know, because they're your friend, it'll take the edge off the meeting. And, and uh, relax. We don't bite people. I don't bite people. You know, I'm really a friendly guy. So think about that. Pray about that. Pray for an opportunity like that. That'd be great. Okay, I have a few minutes. So I, I did have, uh, just from my own toolkit over the 35 years I've been doing this, of wonderful questions that you can ask people or ways to get them um, interested in the gospel. One of them I already told you last week. Just ask someone, do you know what the gospel is? That's a great opener. And it shows you where they stand. And by far, the vast majority of the answers is either, well, yeah, it's the Bible. Now, they don't say it right away. They have to think about it. But if they've thought about it and, and they come back, they'll say, well, yeah, it's the Bible. Or, of course, they'll say, I don't know. Some really smart ones will say it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what's the other one, you know, uh, which is kind of true, but it's not the gospel. It, it, when I hear somebody say that, I get excited. They don't know the gospel. Isn't it, wouldn't you be excited? If somebody looked you in the eye and said, I don't know what the gospel is. Wow. I mean, you talk about openings you could drive a Mack truck through. There it is. Um, and if you get into spiritual conversation, uh, you can ask them um, one of the Kennedy questions or both of them. Those are great questions. They're called Kennedy, like I said, because of the pastor down at Coral Ridge Baptist in uh, Florida, who apparently was the guy that thought them up. But they're ideal questions. The first one, if you died tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven? That's good. Do you know how rarely people think about that question? I don't think I ever thought about it seriously before I became a Christian. Well, of course, you know, just before I got saved, I didn't want to think about it. It's good just to ask that question, just to get them to think, you know, where do you stand with God right now? You're serving God by asking that question, you know, by getting them to reflect. And of course, the one that's not a yes or no, that really gets people to think and that you've really got to be patient with because they've really got to think it through. If you did die tonight and you appeared before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? great that's a great question boy i you know with that question i I can just see people i it's like i can look inside of them as they begin to answer it because you see exactly what they're basing their hope of heaven on and and invariably it's good works now here's another one this may shock you i got this one from gene gibson he he threw it out when we were in the intern program one afternoon he said ask people why did jesus die on the cross now you're sitting you say well come on you know, particularly in this country, everybody knows why Jesus died on the cross. They know the words, but they do not understand the concept of substitution. And I can tell you that from experience, because since that day, I've done it so many times. The typical way it goes is this. And try this, by the way, this week or the next month or something with somebody you know. And you've got to be patient now, because your tendency is going to want to be to tell them the answer, you know, or to help them along. Don't do it. Just ask them, why did Jesus die on the cross? Now, uh, usually they're going to get around to saying something like, uh, well, he died for our sins. And then you think, oh, oh, well, conversation's over. No, it's not. Because now you're going to get to the bottom of that. Now you ask them, you say, what does that mean that Jesus died for our sins? 
You know what? Most people don't know. Does that surprise you? I'll tell you the most two common answers I get. Of course, there are some who just to the very end refuse. They say, I don't know. I can't tell you. You get some people like that. But the two most common answers are, first of all, um, Jesus died for our sins. Okay, what that means is, well, you know, generally we're kind of wicked people and Jesus was a very good man. And when he came into our midst, you know, we just couldn't stand having him around because he was so good. And so we ended up crucifying him. Do you understand that? Do you understand their thinking there? Okay. He was kind of pushed out of this wicked society by being such a good person. No concept at all that Jesus died for their sins as a judicial penalty to satisfy the righteousness of God, you see. I love that. When they, when, and, and you be patient and they'll explain that. Reiterate it back. So you're saying uh, basically it was Jesus was such a good man and you know society was so evil and so on. Make it clear. Then you've got an open door, you know. Well, there's a message in the Bible that talks about that called the gospel. You know what it is? Would you like to hear it? Okay. The other uh, most common answer, this is probably more common than the other one. They go something like this. Uh, let's see. They lose sight of the word sin. And they just try to retain the concept of Jesus dying for us. And uh, I think this is what probably, if you'd asked me, this is probably what I would have said before I got saved. Uh, they say, well, you know, Jesus loved us so much. How could he have shown that love? Well, he could tell us in words, you know, he could write it in the sky. I love you, you know, or he could do some extreme act, you know, to show the greatness of his love. Well, the most extreme thing he could have done was to die. And that's what happened. He died for us, but they're not talking about sin now. Okay. He just died for us to show us how much he loved us. Do you you understand that? You should. You better because you're going to talk to people who believe this. You need to understand where they're coming from. And they lose, they lose total sight of uh, the idea of sin. He just died for us, you know. It's, it shows how much he loved us. All of these are helpful. I'll tell you, you get your appetite whetted when you talk to people this way and you hear what they have to say. Okay, well, it, it's uh, quarter till now, so we'll, we'll end the class. But as I said, there's that open invitation I, I can't tell you, I won't be able to control myself if you come up to me in the next week or two and say, I have this friend, I have this relative. And they said, yeah, sure. If it's uh, no obligation, I'll sit down and listen. I'd love to do it with you there. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the wonderful message of the gospel. We thank you most of all of the one about whom it speaks, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, was raised again the third day, And now, by trusting in him, relying on that finished work, we can know that we're going to be with you forever. Lord, we pray that message might grip our hearts. Think of how Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What an understatement. Lord, may we not be ashamed of it. We have the greatest message in the world, Lord. Help us to realize that and give us a burden to tell others. Lord, give us opportunities this week. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.